0: All right, so we're down to our last session before lunch. Everybody enjoying themselves? Yes. All right, isn't it great to just, for like Max, kind of almost do nothing, sitting, listening, hanging out with your wife, and not having to chase my children, it's awesome. So, our last session is, uh, is a, little, a little more serious note. You know, Melissa and I do counseling for a living. And um, for a long time, uh, you know, counseling couples was really, really, really hard because it seemed like just telling people what to do, and and even if they wanted to know, what do I do? Even telling folks, like, what to do didn't seem to yield the results that I I thought would happen. You know, we'd have the Word of God. God gives us the Word of God, not just to implant it into our brains, which some of us don't realize that we we got to get it down into our heart where it really will take effect. What I was noticing is that a lot of our, uh, our clients would fight about stuff that it just sometimes seemed just so petty in some ways. You know, so we would do the personality profile. We would talk about differences, expectations, things that were getting them in trouble. But they were still triggering each other in conflicts, and, you know, as a trained counselor, I have to spend hours uh, to get continuing education hours. And so I would go to uh, different trainings to learn more and more, and both, both Melissa and I learn more and more about what's really going on with us, right? And so I have an analogy to help you get this, and it's an iceberg, okay? So a lot of the time, if you think about an iceberg, there's a piece of it that's the tip that sticks out of the water, and then there's this bigger hunk of ice mass that's below it. You don't see it. You know, the Titanic sunk because it hit an iceberg. And they saw it from a distance. And they had time to, to avoid it if all that they were avoiding was the iceberg that they could see. But what they hit was something that they couldn't see. And that's why it sank. Makes sense? So the iceberg analogy, what we're going to talk about in our last session, is really more about what's going on under the surface in our relationships.
1: So this section is called, What Are We Really Fighting About? And what we want to introduce to you is a diagram. It's called the Structures of Healing. And this is something that we teach um, in the inner healing classes and in the the work that we do. And I'm going to explain this kind of briefly. We spend 16 weeks learning this, so we just have like... 10 minutes, so um, you're just going to get a snippet of it, but it really helps us to understand and really see what's happening in our relationships when we can really kind of start to dissect this. If you look at the life situation, that's just uh, your marriage, your the sexual part of your marriage, the part with the kids, so it's just the life situation, it's the context in which these things are happening. And dysfunctional behavior is really the tip of the iceberg. That's what we see. That's what we keep making each other wrong for. Our weaknesses, the things that we're doing um, not well, the, the sinful behaviors that we uh, overreact with and things like that. Shutting down, lashing out, all of those things that we do in our marriages that are unhealthy that we keep making each other wrong for. And the truth is, even though these things are coming at us, just like we talked about earlier with the personality test, those weaknesses that your spouse has, we tend to take them very personally, like that Mark's lazy, or you know, those things that are not as becoming that I don't like, it's a per, it's, it feels like a personal attack. And really the truth is it's not personal at all, it's just his stuff. And when I can start to understand the structures of healing and understand that that's just their stuff, it's not so personal. And that's the value in this. So, the dysfunctional behavior piece is the tip of the iceberg. It's the part that we see, it's the part that comes at us, that hurts us, that offends us, that um, can be hurtful. <coughs> Underneath that, what drives dysfunctional behavior is emotional upheaval. Okay? And that's the emotions, and we're going to dissect that a little bit more. Underneath a lie, under the, the emotional appeal, anytime we have emotional upheaval in our life, there's always a lie driving it. And I'm going to explain that as we go through this. And then lies are rooted in wounds. So we're going to start looking at this and kind of dissecting this a little bit for you to understand just a little bit of it. And the first thing that we want to share with you is what we call a 210 reaction. And I'm going to refer back to this as we kind of go through. A 2 reaction. A 210 reaction is an emotional overreaction. When someone makes me really angry, okay, and... They hurt my feelings or make me angry, and it's something that maybe I should be reacting at maybe a three. You know, I'm a little ticked off about it, but I'm off the charts, ticked off. So on a scale from one to ten, I should be maybe at a three, and I'm like at a thirteen. That's a two-ten reaction. I should be a two, but I'm at a ten. Make sense? So it's an overreaction, And what we want you to know about those emotions is that they're a messenger.
0: So let's talk about emotions a little bit. Dobson wrote a book uh, years ago. It's called Emotions, Can You Trust Them? And the impression he gave us was that we were sort of to somewhat, in some ways, uh, not be driven or make decisions by emotion, okay? And that's true. We don't want to make decisions by emotion. But in some ways, most of us don't really understand the purpose of our emotions. In fact, a lot of us guys... We think that sometimes we think that they just get in the way of things. But really, as Melissa's talked about, emotions are a messenger. They're trying to tell you something's going on with you. When you have a two ten reaction, again, that 2 is just a, it's a way to think about it, a 0 to 10 scale. If if uh, if, if, um, if I'm in the store and I'm late and Melissa's looking for me and, and, and I'm, I was in the bread aisle trying to pick a bread and I'm, you know, phlegmatic, I'm just taking my time, and she starts to get, anxious about that, maybe it should be like a two, right, on a scale of zero to ten, but it's like a seven instead, and she notices this, she's able to recognize something is going on with her that's not about me and the bread, does that make sense? So emotions are a messenger, and we want to pay attention to them, but what we tend to do instead is kill the messenger, we have a culture that tells us to kill the pain, kill your emotions, kill the pain. So we have pills for that, right? And so you'll see a doctor, and maybe that's something that you do need to do. But our, our first response to those emotions tends to be kill the messenger, right? And I, and I believe that healing and freedom actually comes through the door of those emotions. Let's talk a little bit more. I want you to really understand emotions better. Emotions, as a messenger, is positively intended for the most part. Now, we have sinful emotions. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about emotions that drive us to do things like protect ourselves. If I put my hand on a hot stove when I was two and didn't know it was going to be hot, it would burn my hand. But I would learn immediately the stove is hot. And that pain, that messenger tells me to preserve my finger. I don't have to think about it. It just happens, right? And in life we have experiences that cause emotional pain. And that emotional pain, like when you were a kid and something happened, that emotional pain, like the stove, is designed to get you to do something. It's designed to get you to do one of three things. To get you to run, to fight, or to freeze. To run, fight, or freeze. Now, when you're five and you're living in a family where maybe there's alcoholism or domestic abuse... You can't run, not far anyway, you can't hide, not for long, so you have to freeze, right? So when we grow up in those environments, they program us to learn how to survive and based on those three options, right? But we kill those emotions because we don't know what to do with them. Especially in a family where we don't know how to talk about issues, talk about things, talk about the emotional parts of things because they're so out of control. But the, per- the basic purpose of emotion is to get you to do something. And if we kill the messenger, we kill the what to do part of what we need to do. And then we develop dysfunctional behaviors which we're going to talk about in just a minute.
1: So emotions are good. They're intended to help us do something, to uh, get away from something, to move closer to something. They're intended. They have a positive intent. The problem with them is when we have a 210 reaction, the pain's so high, it's being driven by a lie, which we're going to talk about. But what's happening is that I'm overreacting, and in that overreaction, I do things uh, that are unhealthy. Okay. So my emotional... Upheaval then begins to drive behavior that's not good for me or anyone else. Okay, And that's what dysfunctional behavior is. Dysfunctional behaviors are the unhealthy behaviors we turn to because our emotions are out of whack. So when I am feeling extremely jealous or extremely anxious or very angry or very frustrated, I may do and say things that, Dysfunctional behaviors are always considered sinful. So it may be things that I'm doing that are hurting others, hurting myself, or against God. And so I'm turning to things instead of being able to choose to do something healthier. My emotions are driving me.
0: Now these dysfunctional behaviors make sense in the context of the family of origin you grew up in. When you were a kid, it might have made sense to lie if you were in trouble and your dad or mom was abusive. It might have made sense to lie if you had gotten a bad grade, but the punishment you were going to receive was going to be something that you were more afraid of than lying. And if we are exposed to those kinds of situations, as an example, for a long period of time, we develop the habit of lying. And then later on, you might be in a relationship with somebody and they have that problem. And, and, And you might even say to them, why do you keep lying to me about nothing? What's happening is these early events, these early experiences that you went through, develop that pattern, and that emotional reservoir is still present from your history. Just because something happened long ago doesn't mean it doesn't exist anymore. The thing about emotions is it doesn't have a good sense of time, and our fight-or-flight response, the, the, the part of us that helps us avoid the hot stove, is a symbolically... It works on a symbolic language basis. Let me try to explain that. Our intellect uses words, but our survival doesn't respond, doesn't rely on words to get me to get safe. All that my body needs to remember is stove hot. Does that make sense to you? So if I was afraid when I was a kid of my dad because he was big and he was a man, and my response to that was to lie, to get safe... I might have a lying problem. Today, it's a dysfunctional behavior. Because that emotion is still there, it gets triggered in a life situation at the top of that scale. And that might be why some people are lying. Even though they profess the Lord as their Savior, even though they've acknowledged it, they still may have that problem going on. Does that make sense to you? When we begin to understand that that behavior makes sense in the context of abuse, if you might have been abused uh, in a sexual way when you were a kid and there's some difficulties you may be having in your marriage one in three girls are sexually abused today do you know that? one in three girls sexually abused in the context of what has happened to some of these folks those emotional experiences still show up in the bedroom even though intellectually you know that this person isn't hurting you but those emotional experiences can still have a charge as Melissa talked about And so what we're going to do with you guys today is help you begin to recognize where the freedoms, the next level of freedom is for you. And so it's not so confusing. Because some of us get so discouraged because we believe in the Lord, we know the word, but why are we still hung up on certain things? Why do these things continue to happen? And I think one of them is, and in a way Dobson maybe did a disservice to us when he talked about emotions, is we began to ignore them. And especially in the culture of Christianity, we begin to ignore them because there is danger in following emotions, but there's also danger in ignoring them. Amen?
1: So under, we've got our dysfunctional behavior, which are the actions that we're doing because of the emotions that are driving it. And then under that, we've got lies and distortions, okay? And lies and distortions, there's three types of lies that we can believe, and we can believe lots of lies about one event. It's not just... You know, the devil doesn't just say, I'll just throw in that lie. He can throw in ten lies with the same event. So the way lies works is that it's lies that I believe about myself, about others, or about God. So oftentimes when we are hurt as children, even adults, there's a lie that's attached to it. And these lies can be about myself, lies I believe about myself, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I'm no good, I'm not worthy. Lies I believe about you, all men are dogs, Uh, women talk too much, careful. Um, And then lies we believe about God, God will never be there for me, he's not going to provide, he doesn't take care of me. So there's lies that are planned, that's the devil's game, and he doesn't want you to see the lies. Because this is the thing about lies, the lies get housed in our subconscious, okay? And they're the subconscious beliefs that make up who we think we are.
0: Say that again, that's good.
1: Our lies, some of the lies that we have are the subconscious beliefs that we believe that make up who we think we are. So sometimes we're operating in lies about ourselves, about God, about others. We don't even know they're there. They're just a part of our core belief system. They're just who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. And it's a lie, and you just don't know it because it's been planted for so long ago, and it's so deeply buried that it has been who you are.
0: Let me give you a quick example as a, one of my clients, uh, he really had a strong belief that his dad really didn't like him, didn't love him, and there's lots of stories to prove that. As we started to do some work and we started to explore some of the history and counseling, we, we began to, to take a look at some of the moments in his life where he began to believe that lie about his father. And there are lots of stories about this guy that weren't good, that were real. But one of the beliefs that he had was that his, dad, that his dad didn't want him. That his dad had left him. That his dad had abandoned him. And as we explored the story behind what had happened to him, when he was about 11 years old, his dad was dying and in the hospital. And his dad looked at him and told him, I'm sorry, son, for dying, for leaving you. His father, in an intense moment that was an emotionally charged moment said I'm sorry I'm leaving you and from that moment something happened in the heart of that 11-year-old little boy who believed because of those words that his father had what had left him now his father was chronically ill and he had died from a disease that he had he had chosen the disease But those words that were spoken into that boy's heart and mind that day created a belief although it was a lie but he believed it to be true and he walked with that up until he was 56 years old. And then the moment we began to bring the light of truth and the Holy Spirit into that moment he hadn't seen hadn't thought hadn't remembered that moment in his whole adult life. And that That event had been twisted for a few reasons, and I think Melissa's going to tell you about what happens a little bit right now.
1: So the next piece in the structures of healing is the wounds, and that's where everything's rooted, okay? Every wound that we have, it's a traumatic event that happens where, I'm going to read the definition, a moment in time when you felt physical, emotional pain that still contains an emotional charge. It's a moment in time. That's what wounds are. They're moments in time, traumatic events When you have felt physical or emotional pain, that still contain an emotional charge. So with a wound, anytime we're wounded, and it could be something very simple, um, like somebody picking on you on the bus doesn't seem real significant, Um, but when you start doing some work and looking at it, you find that was a pretty big wound. Um, It seems very simple, but That what makes a wound so traumatic is that there's lies that are planted there that now drive your emotions, which now drive your dysfunctional behavior, okay? So we can have some very big traumatic events like sexual molestation, a parent abandoning us, abuse, things like that, and those are wounds. But we also have very insignificant wounds. And I think personally, I think that's the devil's favorites because we don't look at them. We don't give them much weight. And there's some real big lies that are housed there that we never get free from. All memories that we have, all of our memories are distorted in some way because when something happened to us as a child, we see it from that child's eyes. So even though it was way back when, and this is when I was six years old, there's a part of you that still sees that event from the six-year-old's mindset. And until you start understanding and working and bringing that to the Lord, we don't grow that up. We don't bring truth into it. We don't bring light into it to have some perspective on it. And Mark and I were in a counseling session uh, not long ago. And um, there's a woman that I've walked with for a while that we were uh, working with. And such a a very sweet story. But a funny part of it is that when uh, when we first started going to Our Saviors, Mark's a counselor. So, you know, you're qualified immediately to do counseling to anybody and, really. and lead celebrate recovery groups and all those kind of things that we'd had no experience doing. And so we'd been going to our saviors for a little while. And Pastor Jacob asked us to start a celebrate recovery group. Oh, sure. You know, just be obedient and show up. And, I didn't want to. And he's a I'm counselor, so we're qualified, right? right? Well, I'm not a counselor. I'm just his wife and we're starting to do some ministry work together and I'm leading a group. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Okay. This is the first group I've ever led and it's celebrate recovery it's divorce recovery group i'm divorced so i guess i'm qualified and that's why i have the job so i'm leading a divorce recovery group and there's this woman who is walking through a uh, a really hard season in her marriage she's left her husband she's moved back and she's come into group and this is terrible and i have repented but i would pray lord please don't let her come tonight because she was so difficult. She was sandpaper. She was so abrasive, and she would come, and she would challenge, and I don't know what the heck I'm doing, and so she's challenging me, and I'm feeling even more inadequate, and so she's just tapping into all my triggers, and I'm just trying to love her <laughs> and be Jesus, and and she's just very abrasive, and, and um, a couple years later, I got a very sweet apology from her about how I'm sorry I was difficult, so it's been a Um, challenging relationship in my life, but she's one of those people that I like to keep at a distance because I love her, but I like loving her from a distance because she's easier there. So we're sitting in a counseling session with her. She's back in a bad patch in her marriage and um, she starts sharing um, as we're praying and asking the Holy Spirit to bring up a memory or a wound or wherever God wants to take her to do some healing today. And she goes back to a memory when she was a little girl in school And she was bullied. And she was bullied, really. I mean, it wasn't just picked on on the bus. I mean, she was beat up. And it didn't happen once. It happened over and over. Her mother worked in the school and didn't protect her. Just, and you start, and it's like, I'm just, I'm unveiled as I'm sitting there listening to her. And what I'm experiencing is that in Celebrate Recovery, in this group with her, she's just a bully that's how i felt and i'm trying to love her in that place and do the best i can but she just bullies me every week and as she's telling her story i just see it because i mean what do you do you're a little girl and you're bullied you're beat up what do you become a bully and it was so sweet to to help her to see that connect it and realize she doesn't have to be that anymore to tell herself that she's safe because she's still operating from that 7 8 nine-year-old little girl in relationship with her husband and with people. And as we worked with her, she realized, oh, wait, I'm safe. I don't have to do that. I don't have to be that today. And that was something that just fell off of her that day.
0: Does that make sense? I'll give you another example. It's kind of a classic, so you can uh, just get another guy. It's for guys. It's it's an example of a war veteran. A lot of war veterans have a condition called PTSD. What that stands for is post traumatic stress disorder. We have a lot of war veterans in our area. We have a lot of, we're in wars, we've been in wars for the last 10 years. What happens to the brain when we're in a traumatic situation is that that event can leave an impression inside of the mind. And it is a part of our brain called the amygdala, which is the part for our survival. That part of your brain that's for survival can sometimes, from past experiences, get tricked into reactivating as if you were in a dangerous situation, even though you may not be. So a war veteran who has this condition, uh, the story I tell is this. So there's a war veteran, and he is in a parade setting, right? So it's 4th of July, and it's packed out. And they're even celebrating all the veterans, and they're coming through, and there's a parade route there, and it's just amazing. And some kids who are up to no good throw firecrackers into the crowd. And the firecrackers happen to land nearby this guy. And they go off. Well, most of the people, within a fraction of a second, realize it's just firecrackers. Although they're startled, they give a 210 reaction, it's maybe a four or five. This guy's at a 10. This guy's at a 10. And he yells, hit the deck, and he lands flat on his face. What's happened to him is he had this trigger, this 210 reaction, happen inside of him. He was not in control of it. And the same thing that happens when you touch a stove and your hand moves happened for him. And he moved quick. In our relationships, sometimes what we're doing is we're being tricked into overreacting to each other because of some of this past stuff. And what we've discovered is although I was born again and on that day all things became new in my spirit, I still walk in a flesh. Good. And in that flesh has been damage done by myself to me and by the world and my environment that I'm living in because I live in a fallen world. And by, because God has made my body in such a way to keep me alive as long as possible and because I was in hostile situations growing up emotionally, physically... My body responded to those situations the best it could to survive. And so what we're doing is we're shadowboxing with things from not really the past, because where is the past anyway? It's, it's not, there is, really isn't anything out there in the past. It's been written in the book of life. All it is now is a recorded event that the Lord wants to bring His truth to light, so that we can become free from it.
1: So one of the things that I said when we started this section was that, you know, a lot of times we're making things about our spouse personal, that's really not, and the truth is, is that we all have a backstory. that just like that lady I told you about, and in her interaction with me, she's a bully, and she's, you know, kind of beating me up a little bit, but the truth is, it's she's got a backstory that's causing her to act this way. And I love knowing that about people because sometimes, you know, you. I mean, we do life with people. And um, just to know that, you know, when somebody's being kind of witchy or abrasive, or it's just nice to know that most of the time, most of the time it's not about me. It's not anything I'm doing. I'm not doing something wrong. I'm not, sometimes we are in our marriages. But most of the time, I'm just tapping into maybe some of your stuff. And one of the things that I want to show you right now is the... Um, what we call core longings. And this actually comes like underneath the wounds. Okay. Our core longings are the needs that God put in us. Every human being that's ever breathed, when we take our first breath, God's planted these things in our heart. And these are the things that we need to be healthy, to be whole, to be productive. We need unconditional love. We need to have a sense of safety and security of nurturing. We need to be affirmed we need to have a sense of value, of worth, of significance, a sense of purpose. We need to feel like we belong. We need to feel like we're understood. And we need to have a pathway to fellowship with God. Okay. So those are things that God put in you as a brand new baby and said, these are the things that you need. Okay, so how many got all of them? Let me see your hands. How many got all of those from your parents? So we walk into life broken already. And these needs that we need to get met. And our parents are the first representatives of God in our life. And they're supposed to be perfect people fulfilling all these things, right?
0: Just like you're supposed to be perfect, right? For your
1: children. And we're not. So we walk into the world broken, and we can't give what we don't have. And so what do you do about that? God put this in me to get it met, but people can't do it for me. So who can? Who can give you all of those things? Jesus. God. Right. And so what happens is that our core longings that are supposed to be met by God and through him, they're supposed to come down this way. We actually start looking this way to get them met. So we're looking to our spouses to give us these things that only, only, only God can fulfill. Only God can fulfill.
0: Now once God begins to fulfill you in these areas, you can then give it away. Because you can't give something you don't have. Now, when we first started to realize this, we started to recognize that we had been giving our parents a hard time for things that they couldn't do in the same way we couldn't do. But we usually believe, because they're taller, bigger, and they're the adults, that they're supposed to be able to do all these things. We expect our parents to be perfect. We expect them to be like God. We expect them to be able to give things, and we interpret their lacking of giving these things to us personally, like they're rejecting you. When, in fact, they don't have their own self-acceptance, how can they accept you if they don't accept themselves? And so we have resentments and bitterness towards our parents because we've been believing that they were supposed to be doing these things for us when, in fact, they couldn't. We've been thinking they've been withholding it from us our whole life. I've been thinking my my dad was withholding affirmation from me my whole life. I thought he could. He could up until years, just a few years ago, I thought he was literally withholding it from me. It turns out he can't. Now, once I begin to get it from the Lord, I can give it to my kids. And as I do, I can then better represent the Lord as I follow the Lord, they follow me, with me. Does that make
1: sense to you guys? So, the core longings, these, these things that we list here... Or actually, if you really um, could hear God speaking to you, it's almost as if it's His echo from heaven. So I wake up and I'm feeling really insecure today, and I just just feel yucky. I'm having, in fact, I teach a body image class, and so we don't we're not allowed to call it fat days, ladies. It's called a BBID, a bad body image day. And um, so I'm having a BBID, and I'm just feeling insecure and yucky about myself. And what I do, what I did for a long time in my marriage, is I looked to Mark and I nailed him to the cross every day and said, could you be my Savior and make me feel better? And I beat the heck out of him. Well, he, I mean, he deserved some of it because he beat the heck out of me first. But, um, but I nailed him to the cross for a long time because I needed him to be my Savior. Because if he could just say the right words, if he could just do the right things, I would feel better about me. Yeah. And that's what we do in our marriages. And that whole thing about what are we really fighting about, we're fighting about some of this old stuff, but we're looking to them to fix it. And they can't. Our spouses cannot fix it. And so if you could posture yourself in a way that when you wake up and you're having those days, that you would hear the Lord whisper and say, hey, hey, I got what you need. It's like his echo from heaven calling you back up. And on those days when I wake up feeling insecure and yucky, it's a reminder to say, oh, I need some more. And I go up and I say, Lord, I just need you to help me feel secure today. I need you to fill me with your presence and I have peace today about how I feel about myself because I'm not, not getting it. Instead of looking to Mark to do that, I look to the Father who is, our, is the good father who wants to give me all of those gifts and meet those things in me. And so we talk about unrealistic expectations, and that's what happens when we take our core longings. Yeah, you can change it. We take our core longings and we put them on our spouses. They become unrealistic expectations.
0: What I had to learn, uh, although we're not off the hook, so she goes to the Lord, and she experiences and begins to experience healing and wholeness, it doesn't get me off the hook. What we do for each other is we walk into the deep waters, in some cases talking about past experiences that we've had, so that the two of us can begin to discuss what happened. And that emotional pain that most of us are avoiding is actually waiting for you to give it attention so it can go away. Most of us think that if I go there, I'll get stuck there, and I can't get out. Okay. In some cases, if you feel that overwhelmed over some issue from the past, that's what, that's what the Lord has equipped me to do, is to help people walk in and walk out. Okay? So that you don't have to walk back. One of the lies we believe is it's always going to be there. It's never going to go away. I'll always feel that way. Why go there anyway? But if we understand what emotion is doing, emotion is simply a messenger. And when you've heard the message, you, have to, you then don't need to send the message anymore. Back in World War II, when the U.S. signed a peace accord with Japan after we had bombed them, there were many pockets of fighting still going on. In the South Pacific, there were these little islands called atolls. And there were Japanese and U.S. soldiers that didn't have communication devices who were still at war with each other. Some, for months, didn't realize that the war was over. They hadn't gotten the message. And in many ways, our brain, the amygdala, the part that I was talking about, that gets tricked into believing what's going on right now is really something that it thinks is going on from the past. When the message from that event finally gets to loop through your mind and make the full pass all the way up to your awareness, the messenger can then quiet down. You see, as long as I'm not touching the hot stove, there's no reason to move my hand. And what happens is, like I said, our, our brain gets tricked into thinking the thing that happened then is happening now, and I begin to feel those emotions all over again. So as we begin to posture ourselves before the Lord, He begins to bring truth to these wounds.
1: So when we talk about unrealistic expectations, if you remember um, yesterday, one of the things we talked about, how do you get from disillusionment to commitment? And I said that God made your spouse the way he did for a purpose, which was one of the reasons is to finish the unfinished business in your life. This is what we're talking about. Because... God gave your spouse with all the wounds, and there's no accident. There was not a surprise. He doesn't not know what your spouse went through when he gave you to each other. And so when you, this whole idea of going into the deep water, it's meeting each other where you're at and letting God do that work as you go into the deep water with each other to finish that unfinished business. That's what that's about. And so when we go into the deep water, it's not about putting unrealistic expectations for them to be our Savior. It's just joining them joining hands and walking it together. It's just somebody on your team to finish that stuff. And I want to share a story. Um, It's called my radiator story. Um, Just to kind of show you the structures of healing and how this works on the, turn it back for a second. Okay. So we have a family of seven and um, one's out the house now, but this was years ago. I still had a baby in diapers. And um, so we're, it's morning and It's crazy. We're packing lunches and getting people ready and ironing clothes. She's multitasking. To, yes, and trying to, and he's...
0: Sitting somewhere.
1: Right. And um, so it's just a crazy morning, as usual, just trying to get everybody out the house to school and to work. And, and I'm, I'm leading groups right now, and so I'm trying to get baby dropped off and back home to get ready for the ladies that are coming. And, so it's just crazy, okay? And um, as he walks out the door... Uh, you need to put water in your radiator, and he's gone. That's
0: what I told her. I was running late.
1: And that's what he says as he walks out the door, and I'm like, what? Well, I had a, a major emotional people, 210 reaction. Okay. Not to him, just to myself, because I start running the script.
0: I thought everything was fine.
1: I start running the script. I do this. I do that. He can't take care of this. He's been sitting on his butt all morning. I'm you know, just running the script. So I'm having a 210 reaction. I'm furious. I'm furious and so my dysfunctional behavior is I'm not gonna talk to him the rest of the day. Punish me. He's certainly not getting any tonight. (laughs) And and I'm not calling him. I need to put water in my radiator, and I don't know, I don't even know where the radiator is in my car. Nor do I want to know where the radiator is. So I'm calling my dad and asking how to put water in the radiator because I'm not calling him. So I'm furious, okay? So as I'm driving um, to drop off the baby I've got water in the radiator in my heels all dressed up trying to put water in the Excellent radiator. Woman. Um <laughs> driving to drop the baby off and I'm trying to come back to lead a group and a prayer group, okay? And I'm a mess. I'm furious and so I'm like, okay, I got to get this got to get this fixed. And I know enough to know if you want to turn that which way? I know enough to know now cuz I have some tools. The next one um, about what to do, and so the first thing that I start to do is I'm driving home, and I've had my moment with myself. Um, one more, sorry, is I start to posture. All right. I notice I'm having a 210 reaction. I notice that, yeah, I should be a little ticked off because just moronic that he would run at the house and expect me to do this. But I'm just like off the chart. I'm just really angry about it and I know that when I'm having an overreaction like that a 210 I know there's a lie I always know emotional upheaval is always driven by a lie so I start posturing so I'm driving home I'm crying all the way back mascara running down my face because I'm so angry and I start posturing and saying okay Lord what is this what's underneath this what's going on show me show me show me so I start asking questions and that's what posturing means it just means asking ask him Ask him to show you what's driving this behavior. What's making me feel this way? Why am I overreacting? I just start asking questions. And as faithful as he is and as quickly as he will be sometimes, he starts to show me immediately the lie that I hear is that men will never take care of you. And I have a history of that. I've got lots of evidence to prove that. I love my dad. He's a great man. Um, But he was my best friend growing up which doesn't make for a, a good dad to take care of you because now you're just buddies, okay? And um, so that's the lie. They don't ever take care of you. And I've got boyfriends and a past that proves that lie, okay? But Mark's taking care of me, so it's not lining up, but today he didn't take care of me. So I'm tapping into that old lie and all that junk that goes with it. So I asked the Lord to show me what's this rooted in. He brings back a very clear memory about a time when, Um, I was having to go find my dad in the back roads of New Iberia. And it's just that picture of, wait, who's supposed to be taking care of who? And I'm taking care of him. He's supposed to be taking care of me. So I'm crying. I'm all snotty, driving home and seeing all of this. And I just, in that moment, just invited Jesus. Jesus, just speak to this. And all I heard him say, but it was just enough to bring peace to my heart, was that I've always taken care of you have always taken care of you. And there's a man who's always taken care of me. And so it starts to bring everything back down. And I start recognizing and walking in victory. And this is the thing. This is why I want to talk about this right here. Because he's not off the hook. Okay? He's not off the hook. Because the truth is, What happened for me is that when we have all those emotional upheaval and that 210 reaction, we have to go up first. So I'm shooting my arrows of emotion this way, and God's getting all the junk. And it was not pretty, I promise. There was some probably ugly words and some very general statements about him. and So there was a lot of ugliness that didn't all belong to him, but God got it all. So I give all of that this way. He brings peace and healing to my life. To my heart, so that I can now go back in a healthy way to Mark with a realistic expectation instead of an unrealistic expectation. So now I can go back with a healthy boundary and say, Hey, let me tell you what happened today. Tell him the story, all the yuck, okay? And he didn't get all the stuff with daddy and boyfriends and past husband. He didn't get all that. He just got his, which was, I do this, I need you to do this. When you take care of the car, It makes me feel taken care of, and I want you to do that for me. And he was so okay with that. He was so able to hear it because I did it in such a way that he could hear it. But when we come at each other with all of that junk and all of the emotion, and I mean, our first reaction is just to get defensive, and we can't hear anything the other person's saying. So the key with emotional upheaval, can you go back one? Which way? One down, is that you have to shoot the arrows the right way Every wound is attached to core longing because all I'm trying to do is get something met. When I'm wounded, that's the devil's opportunity to come in and take something that God was supposed to fill. People broke. Make sense? So I want unconditional love. I get wounded by a father who touches me in an inappropriate way. That's a legitimate need, a legitimate core longing that I had. It's a wound. Every wound's attached to a core longing. So what's the core longing I was looking to get met? um, I don't know, possibly in that scenario with the radiator, it was a sense of security to feel like I'm taken care of. So I look at that. I let Jesus bring that into my life. I've always taken care of you. And then I start to walk in healing, truth, peace and comfort, no more emotional upheaval. And now I have empowered living to choose to respond instead of react. So in my dysfunctional behavior, I'm reacting. I'm just reacting to people. It's external. I'm just turning around and giving it back. But when I get healing, I can now choose to stop and say, okay, you don't need to get all that stuff. That can go this way. And now I can choose to set a healthy boundary and speak about it like this.
0: Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So I want you to. Uh, well, the hardest part is this emotional thing, and it's it's about if you have a spouse, some spouses can go in the deep water, some can't because of their own stuff. It's Jesus that you're inviting into the deep waters. It's Jesus that's inviting you to go into the deep waters with Him. He's wanting to take you there. That's where more freedom comes, guys. That's what you can't you can't add on to a foundation that's broken. And our foundational the parts of us, those wounded parts of us, God wants to heal. If you think about the leper or anyone that got healed, they had to bring what was broken to the healer. When we go to church service and we go to a healing service, we might point to a physical illness that we have, some disease, maybe somebody's sick. We'll bring that to the Lord, but do we really bring our real brokenness to Him? If we could be honest with ourselves, we generally don't trust him the same way we don't trust each other. And so we, you know, the leper, what did he have to do? He, he had a disfigured hand. He was the AIDS patient of his day. The Lord asked him to extend your hand. And then healing came. It's when we extend to him and he invites us. He says, do you want to be healed? He wants to know if you really want to or not. He's going to give you the option. You don't have to get healed. And we extend our brokenness. We extend the parts of us that were hurt, injured, harmed. We bring that to him. And Melissa and I have personally experienced this. There is more freedom. There's more healing, truth, peace, and comfort, and empowered living. We have to take off our religious masks, at least with the Lord. I mean, come on. He knows it's back there. Stop playing church. Get real with yourself. Get real with someone else. And allow the Lord to bring real, lasting change for you. Does that make sense to you guys? So, I'm going to talk a, uh, one more point I'm going to make, and it has to do with change. And so, we'll kind of tie some of these things up. And it's Gary Chapman's Three Rules to Change. Gary Chapman wrote the book, The... Five love languages. You ever heard of that one? I I, I kind of think the five lo- love languages can get us into trouble because we sort of like place expectations. Now that you know what I need, then you should be able to meet it. doesn't work too good. It didn't work for me. Maybe it worked for you. But there's something that he said that I think is really helpful and helpful to me. He said, some things they, that's your spouse, can change and will. Say that with me. There's some things... My spouse can change, and they will. Okay, guys, the toilet seat, that's, that's got to change. There's no excuse for the toilet seat thing. Okay, some things, say it, some things my spouse can change and will. Now, you can't decide when that's going to happen. It just will happen. Some, say this one, I'll say it again, the second one. Some things your spouse can change, some things your spouse can change, and won't. Yeah, some things your spouse can change, but won't. This falls into the area of gender, they're a guy, when they're in the bathroom taking a shower, they may continue to fart, okay? It's just probably not going to change. It's just fun to us, okay? It's our own personal instrument, okay? Some guys play guitar, other guys play the the tuba, you know what I'm saying? So some things your spouse can change and just won't, right? The last one is some things they just can't change. Say that with me. Some things my spouse... Just can't change. You can't, can't change the fact that I'm five foot seven and three quarters. <laughs> That's gonna be permanent. In fact, I think I'm shrinking. Okay? So let's say it again. I want you guys to remember this. Some things my spouse can change and will. Example, toilet seat. Some things my spouse can change and won't. Some things my spouse just won't change. They can't. Y'all got that?
1: So, as we have presented just the information about uh, gender differences, as we talked about personality differences this morning, and then we talk about the deeper things, which is the stuff under the surface, um, the whole purpose of that is uh, for healing, but also as a spouse in a married couple, um, it's just to understand that, our weaknesses, the things that are different about us that we tend to make wrong, the things that are broken in us that we keep kind of pushing on. Um, it's just God's design that you would help each other, that you would continue to look at Christ. And you know that picture we have, I can't do it, but put your hands like this and then go. That there's you and there's him, oh, her. okay. Okay. And as we keep growing and putting uh, our Ourself in, in um, alignment with Jesus, keeping our eyes focused on him, we continue to grow together with Jesus as a focus point. And what ends up happening is that we come together at the top. And Jesus is the focus. And so as we recognize that our differences, our weaknesses, the things that are hurt from our past are not personal, they're not against you, They're just the things that God's working out of us, and he's given you the privilege of walking that out with the person sitting next to you. And it truly is a privilege of walking that out together.
0: So you guys have the serenity prayer on overhead. If you do, you should have it in your booklet. We're going to say the serenity prayer to close and then go to lunch. So let's read it together. Now, what I want you to do is, is uh, change the words a little bit and say, I'm going to say it first. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change in my spouse. So write that in. The courage to change the things I can in myself and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, so once you got that, we're going to read it together, the edited version. You got it? Okay, because we got to like be a little specific here, right? So let's, uh, I'll lead and we'll say it. This is our closing prayer. And then we'll go to lunch. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change in my spouse. The courage to change the things I can in myself. And wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as he did, this sinful world. As it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him next. Forever in the next. Amen. And then Goofy name. <laughs> okay. Yep. All right. How many of join Mark and Melissa? Come on. Give. <clears throat> what we're going to do, just let me give you a little bit of instruction about lunch. You just need to stay where you are. They're going to bring your lunch to you. Okay? But I want to just pray, and then we can eat. All right? Father, we just thank you so much for... God, just Mark and Melissa
1: and the gift that you've given them to help us. Lord, I, I know for my, my wife and I that we just feel so blessed that we can have conversations and, and discuss things uh, through this. And, Lord, I just pray
0: you would just bless every marriage, every person that's thinking about marriage, all those that are single and hoping for marriage. We just pray you'd bless this food and our time together in Jesus' name.